I do this when there's you know a few of us, when there's a smaller service, because it feels a little more intimate, which is actually why I like everybody sitting in the middle seats. It's not that I like to be close. I just It's more intimate, right? It's closer. It's nicer. And you're like, no, I want to be in the back row. Thank you very much. All right. Well, if you don't know me, my name's Jamie, and uh, Heidi and I have the privilege of pastoring here. And a part of what we do is we pray for this church regularly, and we listen to God on your behalf. And, and that's where these sermons come from, is what we call them, sermons. We, we, we share messages from the Bible and kind of explain it about for our world today. And I, I had this message for several weeks that I wanted to preach, um, and I, it is on a big word, the sufficiency of God. Doesn't that sound like really boring? But really, it's about how God has everything that we could possibly need. And I was really working on it, and I realized, like, oh, man, this, this message isn't so much for the church as it is for me right now. I just needed to listen to that. And God began shifting and changing uh, the message this morning. So what I have, I have got, like, a really well-put-together slide deck, and I've got a really well-put-together set of notes. But at some point, I might get lost because I'm just going to start talking about what God's been saying to me for this church. Um, and I want to start with a, a prayer, and a, it's a passage, a prayer and a passage from the Scripture. So if you have your Bibles, open them up to Ephesians chapter 3 or your phones, as long as you make sure to turn off all the notifications and stuff and your Facebook games and, you know, put it away just for a little bit. And uh, we'll, we'll read this passage together. It's from Ephesians 3. If you've gone to church for like more than five minutes, you've probably heard the passage before. So it's not like I'm whipping out something really exciting and new here. This is what it says from 3:18 and 19. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all of the saints, that is all those believers that have gone on before, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, so that you, and I love this, I mean, highlight that, so that, this is the reason, this is why Paul makes this prayer, this is why I pray it over you this morning, so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And Father, this, this prayer that was written thousands of years ago now, we echo today. I echo as the pastor that this body, this church, this gathering of believers would be able to comprehend, to somehow get their brain around, to grasp just how big your love is for us, God, so that we can be filled with the fullness of God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so confession moment for all of us, not for me, <laughs> for all of you. How many of you would confess to having overeaten on Thanksgiving? You don't have to raise your hands. You don't have to raise your hands. Oh, man, did I ever overeat on Thanksgiving. And it is like this theme of mine, right? You, you start Thanksgiving Day, you plan the time of the meal so that you're not starving by the time you get there. This is how we do it. You know, we used to do it. Let's do, let's do it at 3 o'clock. Why 3 o'clock? It's like you eat lunch, and then you're full, or you don't eat lunch, and you're starving, and then it's not good. So we, you know, we'll do it at 5 o'clock, a normal dinner time. We'll eat normal meals, and we'll get there. And I'm just, I'm just going to put a little bit of the things on my plate. But we have so many things right? Your plate winds up being 10 pounds by the time you get back to your table. And that's all the exercise you're going to get that day, right? It's carrying that 10 pound plate back to your table. And so you carry that sucker back there and then you proceed to pack it in and we get full, right? You get so full. This, this Thanksgiving, I was so full 
that I felt like I could not breathe. Did anybody else, have you ever experienced that? We used to do that when you go to the old, your old buffet or whatever it was, old country buffet as a kid, eat cinnamon rolls until you couldn't breathe. Well, this is Thanksgiving dinner. And this is how like our whole family did it. Everybody ate so much that we could not breathe. We were absolutely stuffed. Uh, one one of us actually got a food coma, and he was laying against the, like laying back like this. And I think it's because you, your your lungs are pushed up into your chest, and you can't breathe, and so you don't have enough oxygen to the brain, so you pass out. You know, and these are the these are the memes that come out around Thanksgiving that kind of express what we all experience, right, on Thanksgiving Day. It's like, I regret nothing. The cat has got his mouth full of pie. Uh, what is a food coma anyway? That's what a food coma looks like. And then I, I loved this one because it actually made me think about that day. It says, I don't mean to brag, but I just finished my 14-day diet in three hours and 12 minutes. You know, it's speedy, right? And so we get so full on Thanksgiving morning that we, we can't breathe. We want to have this food coma. And then, inevitably, one of the kids says, who wants pie? I heard it, pumpkin pie. Who wants pie? And now we're supposed to try to pack that in on top. Now, the reason I wanted to talk about this is it's funny, and we all just went through it, and some of us are feeling shame and guilt right now about that, and I just absolve you of all shame and guilt over Thanksgiving, overeating. It's okay. However, I think that Thanksgiving is a physical representation of a spiritual reality that many American Christians just live in. We live in this place where we're just stuffed. We're stuffed mentally, spiritually, emotionally, in every way. We're just full all the time. We're just stuffed with choices, stuffed with schedules, stuffed work, stuffed with ideas. We're stuffed with opinions, stuffed with candidates and politics. We're attempting to satisfy every longing of our heart and our spirit by purchasing or by experiencing or by dreaming up new ideas and new ways of doing things. In a lot of ways, Thanksgiving is an ultimate expression of the true American dream. And how I would lay that out for you in a mathematical formula is like this. Let's see. Nope, not that one. And maybe I didn't put it on there. Is it the next one? Is there a mathematical equation with a more than, less than symbol next? No. Okay. I thought I put it up there. So what I would say is, on this side, what I have now, and then there's that alligator. You guys know the alligator, the math alligator? It always eats the bigger thing. It's aiming the other direction, and then it says, more than what I have now, right? What I have now versus more than what I have now. The American dream is always more than what I have right now. And so we live in this place where we're taught from, from birth by everything that we watch, everything that we read, every interaction that we need more. Christmas time's coming, right? Where all of us parents, all of us uncles and aunts, we're like starting to think, well, what can we get all the kids and all the kids and eat just a little bit more? Even though if you go in their bedrooms and you open their closet doors, you're likely to wind up in a crapalanche, right? The stuff is just going to fall on you and you're going to like, ah, it's going to sweep you out into the living room and you spend the next week cleaning up all the toys that just came out of the closet. But we need to buy more. Because the American dream is more than whatever we have right now. And we're stuffing ourselves in every way, and it affects us spiritually. Two stories. One, there was a famous professor. Uh, he was from Harvard University. He flew halfway across the world to meet with this really famous, really great theologian. The man picks him up at the airport. They come to the house, and then he's like, it's in England. So he's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to make you some tea. And he starts making him tea, and the man sits down, and the guy's talking the whole time, this great professor, just talking the whole time. And the theologian pulls the tea set out, and he, he starts pouring the tea into his cup. 
and he keeps pouring. And the man watches as the cup fills to the brim and then begins to overfill onto the table and down onto the floor. And it begins, he's pushing back from the table as his feet get wet. And he says, what, what, are, you, what are you doing? And the, the theologian looks at the professor and says, you're just like this cup. I can't teach you anything because you're already full of your own ideas, your own thoughts, and your own beliefs. You can't learn anything from me. Around 300 B.C., 300 years before Jesus, a Chinese wise man, Lai Su, who lived in the high mountain communities out in the middle of nowhere in China, he was known for his great wisdom, and people would come from all over China to come and meet with him, and you would have to walk up this hill, and you had to come alone. That was the rule. Come alone. And this rich man, he journeyed across China and to come to see the great wise man and to hear what this wise man might tell him. And he walks, he makes the journey alone up the hill and into the man's house. And the, the wise man, Lao Tzu, greets him by saying, how can you learn from me when all of these others have come with you? The man turns and looks behind him and he's like, "It's nobody here. Of course, Lao Tzu meant all of the things that he carried with him all of the opinions of others, all of the things that he had learned from other people. The only things that were following him were the things that he had stuffed himself with, as though it was Thanksgiving dinner in this life. His thoughts on death, his thoughts on life, his thoughts on politics, style, brand, his false self that he was presenting to the world. He was full of himself. See, the trouble with being so full as a people is that our abundance our overwhelming pile of stuff, you know, metaphorical and physical. I'm not just talking about owning things. I'm talking about all the things that we think, all of our ideas, all of this stuff that we carry. Our abundance, ironically, leaves us very short. We're short on energy. We're short on mental capacity. We're short on sleep. We're short on time. We're never good enough, never perfect enough, never thin enough, never powerful enough, never successful enough, never smart enough, never certain enough, never safe enough. For all that we have, we lack space. For all the food on the Thanksgiving table, we don't even have space to breathe because we're so full. I thought about this last week. Uh, when I had to set my alarm clock. You ever think about an alarm clock other than to think, I hate you, right? That's like, we, didn't, we try not to tell our kids to say, I don't hate, you know, hate is a really strong word. We don't use the word hate, except for when it comes to alarm clocks. It's okay to hate them. The thing about an alarm clock is if I set it, it goes off in the morning, and I'm short on sleep, right? But if I don't set it, and it doesn't go off, and I get enough sleep, then I'm short on time. You see how the abundance of all that we have can wind up leading us to a place of just being short. We long for God. That's why you're here today. I mean, it's not just that you come to church. It's not just a part of your religious lifestyle. It's to come and meet and be and receive God. And we long for God. As human beings, it's our deepest, deepest longing. But we cannot be filled if we are already full. Let me say that again. We cannot be filled if we are already full. We cannot be full of the ruach, which is the Hebrew word for the breath of God that happens in Genesis chapter 1 when God breathes on this mud clay form that he created in his image. He breathes his breath on him and infills his lungs, because he was empty, right? 
and then he became full of God. We cannot be full of that Ruach if we are so full that we can't even breathe. We cannot hold hope, which is our theme for Advent this year, holding hope if our hands are already full. So this is the invitation of Advent, to make room in the inn. You guys know the story, right? Jesus and, or Mary and Joseph come to Bethlehem, and they're going to give birth to Jesus, but there's no place for it to happen. So they wind up in a stall, in, in, a, in a stable with horses and cows and pigs and horse and cow and pig manure and, and just that nastiness and filth. And he's born and laid in a manger, a feed trough, because there was no room. This is us. The, ad, the, the, the invitation of Advent is to move things around and to make space. It's like when we clean out our house so that we can put a Christmas tree in it. We have to remove some things. We have to get some things out of there to make space for that tree to come in. We're making space for God. Now, I have been, you know, went to school, got my master's degree in, in Bible stuff, right? And I sometimes like to throw around words, like Hebrew words and Greek words. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes I like to throw them around because it makes me sound smart. And you guys go, ooh, gosh, my pastor's so smart, you know? But I think that there are some Greek and Hebrew words that every Christian should know because Greek and Hebrew work very, very differently than English. For some example, one Hebrew word, hesed. I've talked about it a lot here. Hebrew, it starts with one word, which means love, and then it builds. And hesed, by the time it comes to the end of the Old Testament, is built out into like a three-sentence explanation, which is God's loving kindness that pursues us and chases us and comes after us and does anything it can to get to us. It, hesed becomes Jesus, right? So hesed is a word I think we all need to learn about and be able to see it throughout Scripture. A Greek word, metamorphosis, right? That's what I think, butterflies. But no, in the Greek, metamorphosis is God's transforming power. It's where God changes us and shapes us and molds us, and it's His doing, not ours. We are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Proskuno, this is an interesting word, and it it's literally means to blow a kiss, <sighs> to blow a kiss towards somebody. And this is the word that we translate to worship. So when we come and we sing songs, whenever you read the word, they, and they worshiped, you know, you read those words in the, in the English language, the image is that they're blowing kisses at God, right? It's just this amazing imagery of what we're actually doing is we're singing. We're loving God. We're telling God how much we love him. Now, the words that are really important for our message today, there's two of them, and they, they are a, a coin, a flip side of, of one another. Kenosis and pleurosis. Kenosis means to empty, to empty out, to pour out, to make a void or to humble. So it's, it's, it's emptying out the trash. It's pouring out the pitcher of water. It's, it's humbling, becoming small, thinking of others better than yourselves. That's how the word pleuro, or kenosis shows up throughout Scripture. And it is all through Scripture. We're going to talk about it in a minute. And then its flip side is Pleurosis, to be full beyond capacity, to gorge upon something, or to thoroughly and completely satisfy a longing. So in a lot of ways, we start with that Greek word pleurosis, right? We come full. Our hands are full, our hearts are full, our bellies are full, and there's not space for God. And so Scripture invites us into kenosis, to empty ourselves. 
But in our culture, the question is, is it ever actually good to experience emptiness? Is it ever actually good to experience an emptying out? Because it often comes at great pain, right? Life often empties, empties us out. When you, somebody asks you, how are you feeling? And you say, I feel empty inside. We think, well, maybe we need to get you to a counselor, right? We need you to go get some help. Because in our culture and in our mindset, being empty is bad. But scripturally speaking, it is only when we are emptied that we can be filled. So throughout scripture, I mean, this is confirmed by the, the weight of scripture and by Jesus himself. If you think about the people of Israel in the Old Testament who had gone through this whole long story, they come to the end of the prophets, they're no longer in their own country, they no longer have their own king, their worship has been destroyed, it's now controlled by foreign rulers who elect their priests and, and make sure that they can control them and keep the population in check. So everything has been thoroughly destroyed for them, and they live 400 years with silence, never hearing from God. The priests do not prophesy. The preachers just preach the old sermons and never anything new. They haven't heard anything from God on their own for 400 years. And you thought you were having a dry spell, right? You thought, oh, geez, my, 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 daily, my daily time with God's kind of boring. Let's try 400 years of that. And that's where the people of Israel were. They were empty, completely tank empty, zero, zilch, nothing left in the tank. And it is in that moment that the Bible says, and in the fullness of time, God sent his son, Jesus, to be born. And then Jesus himself, what later writers looking back at Jesus said is that Jesus actually, in Philippians 2, it says that he emptied himself of his divinity so that we could be full of our humanity. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. That's that kenosis word. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let, this, let the same mind be in you as was in Christ Jesus, who, though he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, but he, kenosis, emptied himself taking on the form of a slave, assuming human likeness, and being found in appearance as human, he humbled himself. Kenosis, again, it's, it's his levels, his deepness. He, he took some off the top, then he went a little deeper, and then he finally completely emptied the tank. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the whole point of Advent, that God emptied himself. He put on an earth suit and he came near. Emmanuel, God with us. He emptied himself of all but love and bled for Adam's helpless race, as we used to sing in the hymn days. To empty yourself is one of the primary invitations of Jesus, especially through the Gospel of Matthew. So if you ever read the book of Matthew, which I highly recommend as one of the four main books that you read, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I highly recommend reading Matthew, a, per a perspective on the life of Jesus for somebody who walked with him. But Matthew starts with Matthew chapter 5 and Jesus' first teachings, the Sermon on the Mount. And it all begins with the blesseds, the Beatitudes. You guys are familiar with this, the Beatitudes? You've heard of these things? Here's how I would encapsulate those. If you look at the Greek, you were blessed when you were short, 
not short physically. Although, you know, me and you got this down, right? Blessed are us when we are short. But you are blessed when you are short and not full, right? You are blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those people who are short on spirit. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Those, the meek, they're people that are short on strength, short on authority, short on power to raise themselves up. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Notice that word filled there is actually the, the other, the pleurosis. They will be gorged. They will be feeding and filled to capacity and beyond. But they started as empty. They were short on righteousness. They were short uh, uh, on, on being good and godly. Blessed are those who are short on revenge, on guile, on manipulation, and instead are people who are merciful or pure in heart or peaceful because they're going to be filled to the fullness of God, filled, pleurosis, again, they will be filled with God. Blessed are those who are short on the respect and care of others because you've, they hate you because you love Jesus. Blessed are those who are short. You move all the way to Matthew chapter 16, and Jesus tells people that are following him, he says, if you want to follow me, you need to do this. You need to take up your cross and follow me. You have to take up your cross and deny yourself. Put an old self away and take up this new thing that God is giving you. If you want to gain your life, you have to lose it. And he says this, what does it profit a man to gain or be filled with the whole world and yet be kenosis of soul. The deepest part of who you are, the, the center, the core of your being, not just your body, not just your mind, but your spirit that holds all these pieces together to be empty of spirit and full of everything else, what does it profit you? So Jesus invites us to be emptied of ourselves and full of his spirit. Then he looks over at some would-be followers of his in Matthew 8. And he makes this invitation, and there's a lot of them. They're like, we, we want to come follow you. Let me come follow you. I'll come follow you today. And he looks at me and says, look, foxes have holes, and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. And he looks, because he's looking at these guys, and he's like, you guys are full of security. You're full of possessions. You're full of the things that hold you in one space. And I am a free, freewheeling, free spirit, and I've got to move and go where God sends me. That's this, this picture over here. It's a, an icon of foxes that have holes and birds have nests. And he says, you, you've got to be empty of those things in order to follow me. What's interesting about that particular one is these men he was talking to, this was before he chose the 12 disciples. So these guys had an opportunity to get in on the ground level of this thing, right? To get in and actually be with Jesus in the early days of his ministry and follow him. They could have been disciples that we hear about later on, like Peter and James and John. They could have been guys like that, but they were so full of all these other things, they couldn't receive what Jesus was offering them. Jesus is walking along, he sees this, this rich man comes up to him and starts talking, a young ruler, young rich guy, look like me. Right? He's really good looking and really smart and really wealthy. And he starts talking to Jesus and it's like, what do I got to do to be saved? And he's like, well, what do you think? And he tells him and he's like, you, you've got it. What? And so the rich man's like, well, what else? Because clearly something's missing. What else do I have to do? And Jesus looks at him and he says, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Empty your bank account and be filled with God. 
and he walks away. And Jesus loved him. So we read stories like this as Christians in this modern age of being full and satisfied and safe and secure. And we look at those and we go like, that's clearly a metaphor, right? Go and empty your bank account. It's got to be a metaphor for, you know, being spiritually empty somehow. We really shouldn't leave our families. We shouldn't sell our possessions. We don't really need to die on a cross, right? Well, yes and no. What Jesus is inviting each of these men and women toward throughout Scripture is to empty themselves. And the reality is, is that all of us have stockpiles of different things, right? We're all, I mean, on Thanksgiving Day, we're all full of turkey, right? We're all full of mashed potatoes and stuffing. But on every other day of the week, we're all full of something else. You can metaphor that if you want. That's kind of funny. I just thought about that. But anyway, we're all full of various and sundry things, right? Oh, so many inappropriate jokes coming to mind right now. The rich young ruler was full of comfort and money and knowledge and power because he, and he couldn't receive anything because he was so full. Those who had comforts could not let them go to receive something better. We all have our own unique ways of stuffing our bellies to the point where we're so full that we can't even breathe. Performance, putting on a show for other people's knowledge, being right, having the right answers, the right politics, money, filling our longings through purchasing, position and power, having the right job, the right title, the right amount of power, possessions, having the right things, the right amount of things, which is always more than whatever we have, and so on. We all have our own unique ways of being filled up. And if we were walking down the street and talking to Jesus, he would come to us, and he would have some metaphor for you, some way of saying to you, empty yourself so that you can be filled with something that's better. The invitation of Jesus to us today is to empty ourselves. And as I said before, life sometimes just does that for us, right? The hard stuff comes, things go pear-shaped. It feels like a forced emptiness in some ways. This is often when people come back to church, right? When, when all the things hit the fan and everything comes apart, people suddenly show up at church again. Then when everything is going well, they stay away. It's because they're full. And life gets hard and they get emptied out. And you know what? That is an act of grace from God. When we experience pain, it actually is a grace because it works things out of us that we can't work out on our own. It pulls at things that we can't pull at or you're even aware of, and it empties us so that we can be pleurosis, filled with something better. But when life doesn't do it to us, when we are invited to move toward an emptiness that is healthy. And how do we do that? I mean, how do we as Christians participate in this emptying? How, how, I mean, Jesus invited the rich young ruler to sell everything and give it to the poor. What, what is it for us? What are those ways that we can empty out the places that we are full and can't receive God? One of them is great, is worship. You know, just coming every week and making space to worship, to blow kisses at God. To, to, to say, look, there is a God and it's not me. He is first. I am not. And I worship and I adore and I love and I focus my life and I follow this one, not anything else.
We're emptying ourselves as we worship. Silence, which we often participate in at the end of a service here. We're clearing space by intentionally turning off the noises around us. All those distractions, all the things, oh, you need to pay attention to your email because your email is how you make sure to be connected to everybody, and being connected to everybody is what makes you worthwhile. So we turn off the email, or we turn off Facebook, or we turn off Twitter, or Instagram, or TikTok, or whatever the things are that we're just filling ourselves up with, and we sit in silence, and we wait in an emptiness if we have to. Solitude, clearing space by getting away, taking a break from our work, taking a break from all the things that we do to give ourselves value, to fill ourselves up, and we go away to get with the one that is worth more than all the rest, to be alone with God. We empty ourselves of all that so that we can be filled with God. Fasting is one that has been talked about many times, uh, and it's just prayer that involves actually clearing space by putting something away that you use to fill yourself up. Sometimes it's actually food, and you find the power of food in your life and how it creates a rhythm for you and how you have to keep going to the cupboards or this or that. And you say, you know what? Every time I want food, I'm going to turn it to prayer. I'm going to empty my belly literally so that I can focus and be full of God for a time. Service, serving other people. That's one that our whole culture gets, right? Even like the most atheist of and most decadent of people in our culture gets serving others, right? It's an emptying of our pocketbooks to, to help somebody else. It's, it's going and taking time out of our busy schedules to give something to somebody else. We're emptying ourselves so that we can be full and that somebody else can be full. Missions, going some other place to serve some other people in the name of God, bringing the love and care and compassion of God some other place. Giving, emptying your bank a little bit just so you can make space for God. These are just some ways in which we can participate in the emptying. But here's what I want you to know above all, that when we empty ourselves, when life does it to us, or when we actively participate in it, like when we say, I'm going to discipline myself and I'm going to empty myself so that I can be filled with God, it is then that we can lift our hands up to humbly receive what God has for us, and God will fill us. I pray that you may have power to comprehend. I, I just pray that you would even understand this emptying and filling and understand that what God wants to fill you with is so much greater, so massive, so huge that we can't even comprehend. We, we're trying to get our minds around the breadth and the width and the height and the depth of the love of Christ for us. A, a love that surpasses knowledge, right? We can't, we can't quite even get our brains around it. It's bigger than knowing. And so that, here's the reason why, so that you can be filled, gorged, overflowing, the cup that is overflowing and spilling out onto the floor and, and, and underneath the, the, the carpet and everywhere else and making this massive mess, but it is God's love and fullness, His fullness of His presence living in you and upon you. When we empty ourselves, God can and does fill us. Acts chapter 2, after Jesus had ascended into heaven, the disciples were alone in an empty room, just them, waiting in their own emptiness. What do we do now? 
How are we going to live? How are we going to how are we going to survive without Jesus? What are we going to do with with him gone? And they waited and they sat there in their emptiness. They were empty of purpose, empty of power, empty of passion, empty of direction, and they waited and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit. God's spirit didn't just rest on them, but went inside of them and filled the empty space that was there. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul looks at a bunch of people who are, are living in a world like, much like our world today, much like living on campus, Thursdays and Fridays and Saturdays and sometimes Wednesdays and Tuesdays. People would you know, go to, be going to parties every night, and they're just pounding the drink, and they're getting drunk, and they don't even remember what, what happened the night before, and things are happening to them that are destroying their body and their soul, right? It's not just that it's wrong to drink. That's not what he's saying. But they're so drunk that they're, they're out of control, they're hurting one another, and they're being harmed in return. And Paul says to them, guys, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit, And of course, Ephesians chapter 3, be filled to the fullness of God. That is why the invitation of Advent is to be emptied. And it's so interesting that it comes from Thanksgiving when we are so full that we can't even breathe that just a few days later we enter into this season of emptying, of remembering the emptiness of the people of Israel as they waited and they longed for, for a filling from God, a word from God to come. We, too, are invited to be empty for a time and to allow God to fill us. So to end our time today, rather than just taking a time of silence, I, I want to do what's, what's called a, a breath prayer with you, okay? We've done these here before. You may not be familiar with them, but this is kind of the idea is you know, really, I was thinking about this last night. If, uh, you ever have one of those middle-of-the-night thoughts that just seemed like, you're like, it is the most amazing thought I've ever had in my whole life, and this is going to change the face of theology and politics and world hunger because it is that amazing. And then you wake up the next morning and you go, is it really that great? I, I mean, I don't know. I had this thought last night that, you know, our breath, how important our breath is, it is the thing that holds everything together, right? We are body, mind, and spirit. Without breath, None of those things can happen, right? The spirit leaves the body because the heart starts, stops beating and the mind stops thinking, right? Without breath, it all just comes apart. It all begins, the scripture all begins with God putting his breath in us to integrate us and to hold us together. And so we're going to use that breath to breathe out the things that we are full of and to breathe in the presence of God to be full of the presence of God, to be aware and to be open. The more empty we are, the more capacity we have to be filled with God. Does that make, kind of make sense why I want to do this? It's a very Pentecostal thing, isn't it? And yet very liturgical. So we're going to hold on to that. So I'm going to take a minute just to prepare ourselves, just silent, quiet, focus on your breathing, and then I'm going to walk us through a prayer.
Holy Spirit, we invite you now to speak to our hearts and our minds as we pray in your presence. Using our breath, we're going to breathe in. Just take a deep breath. Now breathe out. We're going to use that rhythm to pray. We're going to breathe in the presence of God. And I want to invite you to breathe out your fear and insecurity. And if you can name a fear or an insecurity that is on your heart right now, just do that. I'm going to breathe a couple of times in this space. Breathe in the presence of God. Breathe out your fears and insecurities. Let's breathe in the presence of God. Let's breathe out our need to control. Maybe name some things that you try to control. couple of breaths here, breathing in the presence of God and breathing out your need for control. Let's take another deep breath into the presence of God. He's here surrounding us. We're going to breathe out the need for the approval of others. Maybe think about some of those others that you need their approval or some of the ways in which you use to you get the approval of others by performing, by acting out, by doing the right thing. A couple of breaths here. Breathing in the presence of God, breathing out this need of approval. Now we take a deep breath of God and we breathe out our need for security and safety. Our need for health. Our need for happiness. Our need for our homes. Not bad things, but things that take the place of God. Breathe in the presence of God and just breathe out and name some of those places where you need security and safety and provision. Let's take in another deep, deep breath of the presence of God who's with us and who is here. We're going to breathe out our driving need for possessions and comfort. It's not to say that we're going to become monks and go live in the desert, but this need, this drive to have those things that surpasses God, we're just going to breathe that out. Maybe name some of the things that you go to for comfort. Maybe name how much is enough.
Let's take another deep breath of God's presence. And let's breathe out all of the things that we are full of. The desire to be good enough, perfect enough, thin enough, powerful enough, successful enough, smart enough, certain enough, safe enough, all of these things. Whatever's coming to your mind now that you've, you're hearing God speak to you as you breathe in that breath of God, what is he saying to you? What is, what is it that you are carrying? What is that thing that he would ask you to empty yourself up? Let's breathe that out. more breaths. Now, as you're ready, I'd like to invite you to just open your hands up, you know, cup them like a, maybe you're thinking of it like a coffee cup or a tea cup, just hold both your hands out there like you're ready to receive something because you've just emptied yourself mentally and spiritually. And we're going we're gonna to pray and ask God to fill us. Just echo this prayer in, my, in your mind as I, as I pray. Lord, I empty myself in this moment knowing that I will fill myself again and again and again with the very same things. Forgive me. I want to make room for you. And I now make room for you. I clear space for you. I'm open to you. Fill me with your spirit that I can daily hold hope. Hope for myself. Hope for my family hope for my neighbors, hope for my neighborhood. May I be able to carry you and your presence into my world this week. In the name of Emmanuel, God with us. In the name of Jesus, amen. I pray that this week you would have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand and sing with me the doxology, the ancient song that confesses that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. It goes like this. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. And amen.
we're done a little bit early and the kids are still upstairs working. So I just like to invite you to, to be in this space together and to share with one another maybe some of the things that you're hoping that God can fill you with or places that you're feeling empty or you know, just share something. It doesn't have to be super deep. You can share at whatever level you're comfortable with, but enjoy one another in this space. We love you guys and we'll see you next week as we kick off Advent in proper style. All right. <laughs>